Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Ah, come on. I know it's a little cold and all the other kind of stuff, but hey, man, it's Thanksgiving, and we're going to have dinner tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, now, think about Thanksgiving dinner before I jump into anything else. Um, we're going to start at 6. So people at 6 o'clock, that'll be saying the prayers and dismissing tables to go get food. And we'll eat from around 6 to around 7 or so. Then we'll have just a little bit of worship. And uh, if you see Megan doing this while she's leading worship, uh, that's not because she's being disrespectful. That's because she's been at the International Conference of Missions all week. And she's driving home now. Last time I checked, she was in uh, Beckley. And so she's just had a really long week. But fortunately, at the International Conference of Missions, she, it was a successful week for her ministry the Bold Movement, and she was, actually, she was actually working like three booths. She was there on behalf of the Bold Movement. She was there on behalf of the Solomon Foundation and also the Christian Standard Magazine. So she was like running around like a chicken with a head cut off. But um, her sister went with her and her mom went with her, and it was a resounding success. As you know, if you have a nonprofit, what do you need? Other than a vision, you need prayer and money. And uh, so her sister and her mom sold about $5,000 worth of merchandise at the International Conference of Missions, which is awesome. Yeah, um, absolutely awesome. Thanks to Kayla and Jill for that. And that means hopefully that I won't have to quit dipping into my bank account to fund the bold movement. Um, that would be nice. But tonight, be here before 6 and, and be seated by 6. And then we'll have the dinner. We'll have worship. We'll be out of here by 8 o'clock. We're planning on playing a little game, a little family feud action tonight. And, and I'll say a few things and we'll dismiss. And as you also know, the Christmas program is already, children's Christmas program is coming up, you know, and Jenny Hill and, and Kayla. Uh, Kayla's on the road with Megan, but Jenny's uh, running that, and that's coming up. We are going to finish up this series that we're doing. This is the next to last one. So today we're talking about heaven and hell, what happens when you die, all that other kind of stuff. And next week, next week is when I'll probably irritate a lot of you when we preach about last things, about the return of Christ and, and all the other kind of stuff. I'm going to try to, as fairly as I can, lay out all the different views. And there are basically three major views that have popped up in church history. And I will try to do all of those, you know, service. And I, I will tell you what I think. Just don't throw anything. Um, because I know some of you have very strong feelings about that stuff. And that's one of those things where we just need to agree to disagree if we do, because it's, you know, it's just so debatable. But the reason I wanted to do this one was because over the years, and I've been doing this now, well, man, this, is, this will be my 22nd year in ministry. And in those 22 years, if there's any confusion, it's either over end times, beginning, or this. This is where a lot of confusion exists within the evangelical, that's conservative Christian world. Um, now, I'm going to lay out what Scripture says. And if you have questions, that's, that's fine. Um, but 
I want you to understand something. This is not just off the top of my head. This is not just according to Matt Rawlings. This is a number of scholars have, have looked at this even recently and have written books on it. N.T. Wright, uh, who's an Oxford professor, wrote a wonderful book called Surprised by Hope about this subject. Uh, a guy by the name of Michael Bird, an Australian scholar, neat guy. He was an Army intelligence guy, and then he went on, became, came to faith in, in the Army, and, and is now um, a professor in, in Australia. And he wrote a book called Evangelical Theology, and there's an entire chapter on what I'm going to preach on, and you can look that up too if you want. Michael Bird's an interesting guy. He's a scholar with actually has a sense of humor, um, which is rare. And Bird um, was interviewed. My wife actually interviewed him, oh, maybe sometime during the pandemic. And he was in Australia, so it was, you know, via Zoom. And he was trying to, Megan was trying to explain to Dr. Bird what Appalachia is like, what Southern Ohio, Northern Kentucky, and West Virginia are like. And so she was explaining to, she goes, you know, she goes, I'm basically, I'm proud to be a hillbilly. And Michael Bird responded, oh, yes, I know what that is, poor white trash. And she went, no, 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 no. He goes, no, 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 like Tiger King, right? She's like, no, we're not all like Tiger King. Yeah, but he's a, he's a good scholar, and he, he had a laugh about it. But we're talking about, we need to start here. Let's start at the beginning. If you go back to Genesis 2, death and I know it's morbid to talk about death, but it is something we have to address. Death was not God's desire for humankind. If you go back and you look at Genesis 2, what did God want? God wanted his creatures, men and women, to live with him, for him to actually walk with them and to live eternally. That was the desire. What happened? Sin entered the world. And when sin enters the picture, death enters the picture. That's just the way it is. I know that like when I first started reading the Bible all the way through back in 1997, when I became a Christian, I read Genesis 1, I read Genesis 2, and Genesis 3, and Genesis 4, and then I get to Genesis 5, and you start to see a pattern. And it was, frankly, when I was reading it the first time, I thought, this is boring, because it says, and such and such lived so many years, and he died. And such and such lived so many years, and he died. And such and such lived so many years, and he died. And I was like, why do I want to read this? Why would God keep this in? And it was, it was actually another scholar who pointed this out to me. It may have been Dr. Bird. He said, the point of that is not to list the names the point of that is not to list how long they live. The point of that is the ending. What God is pushing there is because of sin, died, 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 died. It's emphasizing, there's a cadence there, that death is here and it awaits all of us at some point. That's just why it's there. But as Jesus warned in Matthew 10, 28, there's something worse than physical death. If you remember Jesus' own words, what does he say? Don't fear the person who can destroy the body. Fear the one who can destroy the soul. 
Now, what he means by that is not some kind of annihilationism where after you die, if you if you're just don't have faith in Jesus Christ, then, then God just burns you up. As I'm going to try to show you this week and next week, once God creates a human being, that being is immortal. You actually will never cease to exist. Yes, this stuff, your body will go away. But that's not you. What you have, your soul, your spirit, that will live on for all eternity. The question is, where will it be? That's the only question. I've, in these 20-odd years, I've been in more hospital rooms with people dying. I've been in more hospices than I can count. And I will tell you this, if you've ever been in that situation, when the person physically passes, they're just not there anymore. I don't know how to convey it to you other than it's not them anymore. It's just, it's a shell. It's one of the reasons I told my wife, if I, you know, I croak, don't spend $20,000 giving me a, you know, a casket and a hole in the ground. Just burn me up. I don't care. I have no use for this thing anymore. You can keep me on the shelf if you want. I don't care. It's kind of weird, but whatever. She can do whatever she wants. I'll be dead. But, you know, so Christ says this. So, now, you need to understand something about the Bible. And this took me a while to really uh, get my mind wrapped around it. You have unfolding revelation in Scripture. As you work from Genesis to the book of Revelation, and again, I'm the son of an English teacher, so it's revelation, singular, not revelations, plural. Don't do that. It's a pet peeve of mine. Well, in the book of Revelations, no such thing exists. Book of Revelation. From Genesis to Revelation, you learn a little more about God and human beings and the spiritual realm a little, little, little at a time. God chose to reveal a little. If you go to the Old Testament and you read about death, typically the Old Testament writers have a pretty negative view. They're like, eh, you live, you die, and you go to Sheol. That's it. But you do have hints like in Psalm 49, in Psalm 49, 14 through 15, it says that the psalmist is inspired to write, but God will not leave me there. God will not leave me in the place of the dead. You get a little bit of that. But you have to wait till Jesus comes along and he starts teaching to get a full picture of what happens to human beings when they die, how God has this all set up. One of the things that I have to do for my Ph.D. studies is I have to read a lot of ancient Jewish writings. Um, they are not page-turners. But they are interesting. And so if you read the Talmud or the Mishnah or all the other kind of stuff, not that I recommend it. But if you do, what you will see is that the Jews believed essentially this. God had created a place of the dead. The Jews called it Sheol. The Romans and the Greeks called it Hades, typically. This was the place of the dead. And the faithful, those who were faithful to the one true God, 
lived in one part of that area, the place of the righteous, and what some called paradise. And then others dwelt in the other side of Hades. But they weren't going to heaven. And there's a reason for that. No one, no one can go to heaven and dwell with God unless their sins are paid for and a righteousness has been given to them. And that did not happen until Jesus died and was resurrected. You see where I'm going? And Jesus himself talks about this in a parable. In Luke 16, 19 through 31, that's where we're going to go. And Jesus is like saying, he's just saying what Jews believed at the time. So Jesus said, there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen, and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Sound like my wife's puppies. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham. At the, it says heavenly banquet in the New Living Translation. That's not really what it says, but that's okay. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets... They won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Guess what Jesus is talking about there? He's talking about the very people listening to him. But Jesus is reflecting. Do you see it? The place of the dead. They're all in the same place but in different areas, separated by this great chasm. And that's what all the rabbis believed. Now, some rabbis believed that this place, paradise, is where the faithful would remain, while this other place of torment... That's where the unfaithful would remain. And Jesus came along and said, no, 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 no. That's not the final resting place. That's like a train stop. That's like a layover. You ever have a layover in a plane ride? Worst, right? That's what it is. Hades, Sheol, the place of the dead, separated in two, two realms. Now, what I'm going to argue is one of those realms no longer exists. It's gone. The other one still does. And again, like I said, if you have questions about this stuff, I know automatically people who know their Bible go, what about Elijah ascending to heaven? It actually doesn't say he went to heaven, God's throne room. It actually said he went into the heavens. It means he went up into the sky, disappeared into the sky. Where did he go? Paradise. Where did Moses go? 
Paradise. Where did Abraham go? Paradise. David. Paradise. They all went to paradise. And by all accounts, nice place, but not God's throne room. For that, someone, a perfect sacrifice had to be made. A perfect life had to be lived. Faith had to be put into the person of Jesus Christ. And in the Old Testament, that hadn't happened yet. Are we tracking? Okay. So here is how it goes. This is what I believe the Bible lays out. If a person dies without faith in Jesus Christ, that person goes to Hades to await final judgment. The Bible is very clear that when Jesus returns, what's he going to do? He'll judge the living and the dead. They await that judgment there. This is not purgatory. This is not any of that kind of stuff. It's not a nice place, Hades. It's not a place you want to go. But that's where they go to await final judgment. They're not in hell. Satan's not either. And I, like I said, I fight, and this sounds funny, but it's absolutely true. Too many Christians believe that it, when they die, they go sit on a cloud, play a harp, get a halo, have wings. Folks, that's not biblical. That's Tom and Jerry. But that's not biblical. Or they believe that they go to hell, and that's where Satan is, and Satan reigns in hell, and Satan just loves it there. Incorrect. What do Satan's demons do when Jesus comes around? Please don't, don't, it's not, please, it's not the time. Please don't cast me into the pit. Please don't cast me into the pit. They beg Jesus for mercy. They don't want to go there. Satan doesn't want to go there. He's got no choice, but he's not there yet. Where is he? He says in the Bible, when God asks him, Satan, where you been? Roaming your earth, looking to devour. That's what he's doing. Satan doesn't reign in hell. Satan doesn't want to go to hell. That's not biblical. That's South Park. And that's different. So if a person dies without faith in Christ, the person goes to Hades to await formal and final judgment. If a person dies with faith in Jesus, now, because of Jesus' death on the cross and because of him giving his righteous life to you, if you die as a Christian, you go right to heaven. Not to paradise, not to Hades, heaven. Because your penalties have been paid and your righteousness has been given to you. That's why I don't believe and I know that, you know, I, I have many friends who are Seventh-day Adventists and they believe in this thing called soul sleep, that if a Christian dies, they just go to sleep and they await Jesus' second coming. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does teach, say that it compares death to rest, or sleep, but it doesn't mean it literally. What does Paul say in Philippians 1 when he's talking about whether he should live or he should die? He said, I, you know, I, I should live because I got work to do, but if I die, where does he say he'll go? I go to be with the Lord. He goes to heaven. 
You see in Revelation 6, I've tried to show this to Seventh-day Adventists when they ask me about this. When you look at Revelation 6, where are the martyrs who have been killed in the name of Jesus Christ? Where are they? They're at the throne saying, how long, O Lord? They're not sleeping. They're right there at the throne. It's got to keep this stuff in mind. But here's the other thing you need to keep. And this is where people get a little bristly, but just stay with me for a minute. If you're a Christian, you die. You go to heaven. You don't stay there. You don't stay there. You return with Jesus when he inaugurates the new heavens and the new earth. And you will receive a body, Paul says, like Jesus had. And what kind of body did Jesus have in his resurrection? Could he be touched? Could he eat? Yeah. It says, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Paul writes, this is often taken as a proof text for the rapture, but, but that's not really what Paul's trying to get across here. Paul says... And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you're not grieved like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, listen to this, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. See it? We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, means they get a new body. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Now see what Paul is doing there. If you want to look at the background of this stuff, and this is the stuff that really jazzes me up, studying the historical and cultural background in order to better understand the Bible. I know I'm a nerd. You don't have to say it, but I I love it. And so here is what Paul is saying. Caesar, at that time, the Roman emperor, ruled the entire known world with an iron fist. What Caesar said was law, basically. If Caesar was riding down the street and he saw you and he just didn't like the look on your face, he could tell a centurion to kill you and you were dead. That's the kind of power they had. When Caesar would visit a city, another city outside of Rome, he would get on his huge boat and he'd be flanked by his navy and they'd pull up into a port. And when they'd pull up into that port, do you know what they'd do? A centurion would shout, Caesar is here, Caesar is here, Caesar is here, and then they'd blow a loud trumpet. And then the emperor would get off the ship in his chariot and with his army, and he would go start going towards the city. But the city was not supposed to stand and wait for Caesar. They, all Roman citizens, were expected to leave the city and go out and meet Caesar and then go back with him into the city. Do you see what Paul is saying? 
we will meet our king. The trumpet will sound, the shout that the king has returned. We will go to meet him, and then we will escort him back to his kingdom. That's what's going on. And I know that people don't, this is, for a lot of people, this is something new, but this whole idea that we will have a physical existence on this earth with Jesus, reigning as king, because again, too many of us get our theology from cartoons and not from the Bible. What does Revelation 21, 1 through 8 say? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea, and again remember, the sea was a symbolism of chaos and disorder and evil. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God. And they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars... Their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. If you go back and read Revelation 20, you will see the judgment. You will see Jesus, by the way, is the judge. And he's not going to be lenient. You either have his righteousness, either your penalty is paid, or he is going to throw you somewhere you don't want to go. And what's really neat is if you read Revelation 20, it appears to say that Jesus doesn't even have to deal with Satan. He sends a little angel just go pluck him and toss him in there like he's nothing. And so, this is what's going to happen. If you die in disbelief, you go to the place of the dead and you await final judgment. If you have faith, You go to heaven for now. Your soul, your essence, your spirit, that goes to heaven. But you return with Jesus Christ. And Paul says in Philippians 3.21, that's when we we see him coming as judge and as king, we will receive at that time a body like his. That's Philippians 3.21. excuse me. says he will take our weak mortal bodies, and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. And the righteous king will take the unrighteous, cast them into hell with Satan and his demons. It's Revelation 20, 10 through 15 and 21, 8. 
And then, according to Isaiah 25, 6 and other places, then once that's done, judgment is complete. Those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus have received this eternal body and we are with him in a new earth. And if that's not good enough, Jesus throws a party. Isaiah 25, which we'll get to here in a couple weeks, says that he will provide a party with the finest wine and best meats. Vegetarians, repent. You're going to tell me that if King Jesus serves you a steak, you're going to go, oh, not for me. Care too much about the planet. Got any of those veggie burgers? Oh, goodness. That's how it's all going to roll out. Now, I know the one question a lot of you had, because I got this last night. What about the millennium? What about it? We'll get to that next week. Next week. Next week. But here's another question people often have. And I see this all the time. Where did Jesus go in the three days he was in the tomb? Some people say hell. That's not true. Some people say heaven. That's not true. See, when Jesus is on the cross, what does he tell the thief on the cross? The thief who was three hours earlier mocking him. What does he say to him? He professes faith in him, and Jesus says to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. But the reason we know paradise does not mean heaven is because when Jesus is resurrected and, you know, Mary recognizes him, what does he say to her? She wants to grab onto him. He says, don't grab a hold on to me yet. I have not yet ascended to my father. He didn't go to heaven. He didn't go to hell. He went to paradise. Why? Because who's there? Who was there at the time? Abraham, David, Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, on and on and on. Ruth, all there. What's he doing? Being with them, probably preaching to them, letting them know once and for all how this all shakes out. And then when he rose back to the Father, he took them with him. Make sense? That's the best you can get from Scripture. Now, where is this place? I don't know. Some kind of alternate dimension or something? I, I don't know. I don't know. But hell is not in the, in the center of the earth, and heaven is not somewhere out there past Pluto somewhere. That's not how it works. When we get glimpses of God's throne and so forth, what happens? Think in the book of Acts when Stephen is martyred. What does he see while he's being martyred? He sees right into heaven. The New Testament does not teach 
a doctrine of soul sleep. It does not teach purgatory either. With all due respect to my Catholic friends, ever been to a Catholic funeral? What does the priest say typically? It's such a rosy part of the service. He goes, well, such and such is now in purgatory. And he always says it with a smile on his face. And I'm like, what are you happy about? That ain't cool. Purgatory was a concept that the Catholic Church invented. And basically it teaches that you, even if you've come to faith, because you're still a sinner, you're still not good enough to go to heaven. And so we got to burn some of that unrighteousness off. But, by the way, if you write a check to the church, we'll, we'll see if we can expedite that a little bit. It was a money-making scheme. To a guy, an angry German, who I love to read and read about, Martin Luther. you got to love a guy who, before he went and, and climbed the pulpit, had two beers and then cussed out the devil from the pulpit. you got to love that. I wish I was there. Um, People get mad at me at saying nasty things about the Cleveland Browns, but man, oh man, you should see some of you should see some of Luther's rants, man. Um, you know, I, I I may say some things I shouldn't, but I you know, unlike Luther, I've never dropped the f bomb from the pulpit. Okay, but Luther comes along and he's like, this isn't anywhere in Scripture, and that was one of the biggest debates they had. He saw through it. This is a money making scheme. You don't go to purgatory if you have faith in Jesus Christ because, again, your sins have been paid for. Your righteousness, Christ's righteousness, has been given to you on the cross. What does he say? It is finished. Done. And like I said, if you want to read about this stuff, you can pick up the book Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright, or you can, I'll print you off the little chapter by Michael Bird, or, I, or you can even read the popular book Heaven by Randy Alcorn or something like that, and you can go look all this stuff up yourself. But I want to get one thing clear. As, as much hope and power exists within that anticipation of the new heaven and the new earth, I, I, I look, it is, it is grace upon grace upon grace that God is going to give me, one, a new body. Thank you. I need one now. My poor wife, in her 30s, and every once in a while she go, I just, something hurts, and I don't know what I did. I said, that's just called Aging. I remember when I did that. I remember when that started to happen to me in my 30s. I was like, wait, why does my shoulder hurt? I didn't even use it yesterday. It's just getting old. And to have a body that, that can eat and can feel but never ages, never gets sick, that is Amazing. But it's nothing compared to being what we were created to be, to be in the presence of our God, the very presence of our God, and to feel whole and complete without fear, 
without sadness for all of eternity. Martin Luther, as I said, I love to quote him. By the way, there used to be, I don't know if the website's up anymore, there used to be a website where you could go, it was called um, the Martin Luther insult meme, and you just hit enter and it would come up with a new, a new insult, quoting Luther directly. Yeah, and he had a lot of them. Um, but Luther spoke powerfully, and, and he said this to put things in perspective. He said, I would rather be in hell with Jesus than in heaven without him. Because as, as wonderful as it is to think of an eternity without pain or sorrow or, or, or anxiety or depression or any of that, That's nothing compared to being with Jesus Christ. You think of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why, you know, almost once a year we go back and study one of the Gospels. Because if you don't spend time regularly in the Gospels, you can kind of get, if you spend so much time in Paul talking about theology or in the Old Testament talking about justice and all that other kind of stuff, and you spend all that time, you need to come back to the Gospels and fall in love with Jesus all over again. His life, a lifetime of suffering, his suffering for us, remember, was not just at the hands of the Roman soldiers when they began to beat him nearly to death and then viciously nail him to a cross. I said this a month ago. You've got to remember, Romans rarely ever nailed anyone to the cross. You know, nails were expensive and handmade. Jerusalem did not have a Home Depot. These things had to be handmade. And so typically what they do is they would tie you to the cross and you would die from either exposure or asphyxiation. But what they did to Christ, they did just to be cruel. He suffered his whole life being tempted, being away from his heavenly throne, being mocked, abandoned, And yet, despite the fact that we still, even those who have, say we have faith in him, we still sin and rebel against him every single day. He knew that. He knew that from before time began, and he chose to die for us anyway. And it's a little story is how I'll wrap up. If you've never heard Dr. Tim Keller preach, you should. And if you're not going to listen to him preach, pick up his books like The Prodigal God or The Reason for God or King's Cross. King's Cross is basically a collection of his sermons from the Gospel of Mark. And when you get to Mark 5, 40 through 43, if you remember the incident, you remember that Jesus is walking along and he gets a message and is saying, look, this, this guy's daughter is dying. And, and they are begging you, please, Hurry. And so he starts to make his way there, and he gets stopped by a woman with continuous bleeding, and she's healed, and he has a back and forth with her, and then they come to him and say, don't bother anymore, she's died. The little girl has died. And Jesus says, no, 
And he takes James and John and Peter and the family, and he goes up to the body, and he says, your translation in the NIV or New Living Translation, what it will probably say something like, little girl, get up. But actually, that's not exactly what it says. And Aramaic is, is a little tough as a language, but what Jesus really says, and Tim Keller points this out, he really says something more like, my beloved child, my beloved child, wake up. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, true faith, in Jesus Christ. Growing faith in Jesus Christ. And you're lucky enough to live into your 80s or 90s or beyond. And you're lucky enough to be cared for by the folks at hospice who do a wonderful job. And you're there with your friends and your family and you feel the life go out of you. Not only did Jesus die for you, but the moment you close your eyes for the last time, what I believe you will hear is, my beloved child, get up. And you'll be with Jesus Christ. But that's just the beginning of the adventure. How cool is that? Shall we pray? Let's do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for the scholars and ministers who have studied it and passed on wisdom so that we can know a little bit of your plans, your design. Most of all, that we know how much you love us, how much you want us to be saved, how much you want us to have faith in Jesus Christ and to share that faith with others, to be obedient to you with the help of your Holy Spirit, to help others in need. May we be reminded that as, as the crazy holiday season descends upon us. May our eyes look beyond Black Friday and, and, and preparing food and, and trying to get gifts. May our eyes remain on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. God goes with you. I hope to see all of you here tonight. Be in your chairs by 6 o'clock, and we will eat and have some fun. Till then, see ya. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.